Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. Countless people have experienced life without ever knowing at least one parent, without knowing the length and number of all the branches and the depth of the roots of their family trees. For many of us, at best, it's a nagging question in the backs of our minds. At worst, a desperate need to know that can lead us to question our own identity, our own existence. These are the stories of some who found what they were looking for, some who were found, and some of those who never wanted to look or know. This is found. After speaking with our first guest, James, I got in touch with his sister. Her story is, of course, tied to his, but her experiences have been unique to her. This is Michelle's story. We're on with Michelle Dion. Michelle, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting. It is. And I am glad that you joined us. So I, I like to kind of start by taking a snapshot of, of, you know, where you are in life right now, where you're, where you're living, what your family situation is at the moment. Okay, so I live in beautiful Sarnia, Ontario in Canada. Um, I have three adult children, five grandchildren. Um, I am a wellness coach for Weight Watchers. Um, and um, I'm in a 25-year common-law relationship. Uh, and life is good. Excellent. Okay, so... I guess going back to to where it all started. Now, obviously, I talked to your brother James first, and he gave me, you know, his his side of his version of your family's story. And you, like him, were one of seven children who were put up for adoption. Um, and my understanding is that three of them came back to the home uh, in fairly short order, but the other four of you, it it, it was quite the journey. Correct. How old were you when you were adopted? Do you even remember that portion? Okay, so I don't. Um, so there's seven children in nine years, and we're all quite close together, although there is three different fathers involved. Um, I was number six out of seven. Bear with me. We call him Jimmy. So you're going to hear me refer to James as Jimmy. Okay. I did listen to the interview. It was amazing. Um so Jimmy is the one after me. We both have different fathers. Um, 
the ironic thing is Jimmy and I never crossed paths. I was gone before Jimmy was even conceived. Um, all the six children were taken out of the home based on children's aid records. That's what I have. So I know that to be fact. So we were taken out of the home at, uh, when I was three months old, all put into care. Uh, that was in Ottawa, Ontario, which is where I was born. And then um, I was in foster care until I was 22 months old when my family here in Sarnia came and adopted me. So by that time, um, Jimmy would have been born and probably into care himself going down a different adventure. So you you were adopted at, uh, what you said, 20, 22 months old? And yeah, right before I turned two. Okay. And and obviously that, I mean, is still your, your family to this day. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And they were fabulous. Um, I have two uh, what I call homegrown brothers. So they were biological children to my parents, uh, five and seven years older than me. Uh, we were, my parents were British immigrants. So they actually came from uh, Britain in the early 60s. And so my brothers were also British. Um, and then they adopted me. So I was the only Canadian in the family. Um, and they were great. I mean, they, um, they, you know, growing up, I used to joke with my brothers and say, they got stuck with you, but they picked me. Like, <laughs> all right. Because they picked me out of a book in the children's aid. It was a different time. You know, everybody and their uncle um, were adopting children for various reasons. Um, so they adopted me because they wanted to make sure they had a girl. All right. I like that way of looking at it, too. They they didn't have any choice with you guys, but they chose me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So and my, um, uh, my mother and I, uh, we, we had... Um, I wasn't a girly girl. I was like a real tomboy and I liked to um, do my own thing. And my mom was really crafty and, oh, that made me wear dresses all the time. And so we really clinked heads, but I was daddy's girl for sure. So um, I was not lacking any uh, good role models in my life, especially like I was definitely daddy's girl. And, um, you know, being the youngest child, the only girl and adopted, winning all day long in daddy's eyes. So it was really good. It was really good. Awesome. How many, how many siblings did you say that you had in that family? So I had two, two older brothers. Oh, okay. So a five-person family. Um, how, how old were you when you, I guess, or were you, or were you always aware that you were adopted and you had other family out there? I, I was. Um, the siblings part was a little sketchy. Um, but unfortunately, um, the way my mom used to introduce us all the time was, uh, and I won't say their names because I don't have their permission, but it was like my one brother, my other brother, and this is Michelle and she's adopted. So it was like, yeah, not, not, not so good. Um, and I actually remember you know, it's amazing as you get older, the things that you remember, especially in reflection and stuff. So I remember my dad telling her, you should really stop doing that. 
because it was making me um, directly or indirectly not really feel included. And then people ask the questions like, oh, where'd she come from? Da, 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 da. And, you know, and the wedge begins. And as a, as a child, you have to kind of rehash that every time with different different people, every time that she does that. That's right. And honestly, I always wished I was never adopted. I always wished I was really their child. And that's something that you that you had to carry with you every day that probably still has an effect on you to some degree today. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, when I was 25, my dad drowned. And so that was a real uh, trauma point in my life. And I just reconnected with all these other people. And so that left me with my mom. And so she's passed now as of like three years ago. But over the year, like 20 years of like that that tagline and feeling separated and like, not like I, I'm forever grateful that I had this great upbringing and everything, but all that stuff, you know, over like, and she'd say funny things to me, like, you know, um, how's your mom doing? And I didn't call um, our biological mom, mom. Like I met her when I was 20. I bet 10 years ago, I just started calling her mom because I, I had one and I felt like she didn't really qualify. So I called her by her first name, which is Rachel. Um, so when my adopted mom, who truly looked after my boo-boos growing up, right? Like she, she was efficient, absolutely. And so when she'd say to me things about, you know, how's my mom? I always felt like um, she was, um, I don't know, like I'd correct her and I'd be like, you're my mom, you know, whatever. And, and like, I'd push back, but I realize now that I think she was sort of letting me go, let me sort of go that way. And she'd tell me stories about, you know, uh, so-and-so's family, when their adopted child grew up, they went back to their family and that was okay. And I never really clicked till years later that like she was, and it's, it's okay. Like I've, you know, mentally really worked my way through this, that that's okay. We, you know, and she used to tell me I would have had my own baby, you know, I, like, <laughs> but your dad didn't want me to, I would have tried. I might've had a, like, do you know what I mean? Just things like that. Just things, things like that. Just stick with you. So there, it sounds like there may have been a bit of an, I don't know, an odd dynamic between the two. Yeah, totally. It was, um, yeah, but I also believe that there's no coincidences. Um, I feel like when, you know, I got so much value from my relationship with my dad and there were good things with me and my mom. Um, so I do feel like, you know, there's no other family I would rather have been with for sure. Now you said, I think you said you were about 25 when you had found the other family or were found by... Yeah, I was, um, so I got pregnant at 18 and, um, I was getting my last credits for my high school diploma and I, uh, decided for medical reasons to go ahead and, um, uh, apply for my adoption disclosure information strictly for the medical. And it's so funny cause I just said this to Jimmy 
like 20 minutes ago. And Rachel knows this too. So I was interested in the medical part. And then when I got the paperwork, um, it, so I am, um, 145 pounds, five, eight, and I have hair down to my bum, long, straight, dark hair, big brown eyes. That is Rachel's description in the paperwork that I got from Children's Aid. So that wowed me. But then in the paperwork, which I have here, it also said she had a boy in 1961, a girl in 1962, a boy in 1964, a girl in 65, a girl in 66, me in 68. And then later it says, we believe she had another child in 1970. That is what made me pursue getting this family together. I wasn't really interested in pursuing the parents. I felt fulfilled, especially at that time. But when I found out for sure there was siblings, I had always, my whole life, I wanted a sister. And now I have three. So so you grew up, you knew you were adopted, but you had no idea that you had six siblings. I My um, mom would say to me, that when I was um, in the foster home, like, I guess we were all split up, but we were like on the same street or something. So she used to say that when they adopted me, I'd go and stand at the door and I'd say, I'm waiting for the kids. And there was something about the older kids would come to my foster home and take me for walks. So my mom was sort of sketchy on the information, but she was pretty sure there was more kids. So once I found out for sure they were, there was, then I filled in the rest of the forms um, to pursue it. And so they found it took, I don't know, Rachel said she filled in the paperwork. Children's Aid said she didn't. So it took like a year or so. And then um, finally I heard back that she wanted to communicate with me. We did some letters back and forth. And then uh, my son was a year old. So I had just turned 20. When Rachel came to Toronto, she was in BC, and we met for the first time. And we met, um, uh, and I met one of my oldest sister. And it's so funny because when you're talking to Jimmy, um, he said about um, when he hugged her for the first time, and it was just that I didn't have that. Just d- didn't happen. It was like. Um, I don't know. I could hug. I could hug your wife and make like. And it's no. I don't mean like. I'm sure Rachel's going to hear it. It's just. I don't know. Was I don't. I don't know. I just didn't have it. It was like the neighbor hugging me. I don't know. It was weird. She cried. I stood there like a doormat. I don't know. It was weird. Was is she? Is she aware of, of that? Um. That? I well, I think so. She must have. I don't know. I don't know, because I'm a real straight shooter, so I wouldn't have claimed something that wasn't true. So I, I don't know. But like now we have a good relationship over, you know, we don't, I don't know, whatever. It is what it is. Was there was there ever any, I guess, resentment on your part for for her having given you up? Um... I don't know if resentment, uh, you know, I have no bad feelings. And to be brutally honest, um, she was 24 when she had me. She was 25 or 26 when she had Jimmy. 
So I'm the numbers person. I'm the I'm the I'm the analytical mind. So um so I have no bad feelings um about that and I'm just so glad honestly and I've told her this that I wasn't an abortion. I was the first one with a different father. My sister Roxanne is 11 months older than me. I'm really glad I wasn't an abortion. I'm very grateful for that. But the thing that still I think I'll never get over is not having my siblings my whole life. And it's not a blame. Like, it's just, it is what it is, but that weighs very heavy on my heart. So for you, at least after discovering everyone, that's kind of turned out to be the the main sticking point for you. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. And then when I uh, met Rachel and then slowly got to know my siblings and um, I'm still in contact with all of them. I I put intentional effort into that. I text every one of them. Um, I'm sure I have um, some abandonment issues. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I tell them I love them. I text them um, randomly. I put effort into um, uh, conversation with them or seeing them. Because there's a couple of them I've only seen, like met twice in my life. Um, because Canada is a pretty, pretty big, um, country. But when she told me about my birth father, um, I, she told me like a really great story, like a really great story, um, about how interested he was, um, in me and how happy he was that she was pregnant and all this other stuff. And then, um, she made the decision to not let him have anything to do with her or me after that. Um, so I guess if I had a little bit of resentment, it might have been, um, but this gets deeper, it might have been that he wanted me. So instead of putting me up for adoption, why didn't you just let this guy have me? But irrelevant, it doesn't matter. So I was so satisfied with my life with my adopted dad. I never would have pursued this guy if I didn't feel bad that he had wanted me and then she took me away. And then I thought, you know, what if that ruined his life or what was, what if I was his only child or whatever, whatever. So last year during COVID, um, Rachel actually helped me. Um, and I sent my DNA like, like Jimmy did to ancestry.com and I found him, uh, confirmed it was exactly who she said that it was. Um, and found out that he deceased, which is sad. Um, but I have a picture of him now. So at least that's something. Um, because truly, the first person I ever met in my life that I was related to was my son. Wow. I was 19. I birthed a child. I'd never met another human I was DNA related to. It's pretty heavy, right? That is very heavy. And that's. It's something to consider for for those who haven't lived through adoption. You know what I mean? That's that's something that some people might not ever even consider because it's just so normal and natural. That's right. So to, you know, to to see like um, my three sisters and even James, we all have like these these, I don't know, fat cheekbones. I don't know. They're beautiful cheekbones. Right. We have these beautiful cheekbones to see things that are similar is really cool. So. Um, my my biological father's name's Gary Sargent, and um, 
to see a picture of him is awesome because I'm quite similar. So that's exciting. But I, um, to get information on him, I was contacted by his cousin and then his only brother, and they were really close. None of them had ever heard of me. They'd ever, never heard of Rachel. So it sort of blew the, the, the story out, out of the water a bit. But I did find out I have another brother um, who, um, ironically, his name is Michael which is funny because my name's Michelle. Um, so that's sort of funny. But when I was born, my name was Laura Lee. So like my other sister, Roxanne, her name changed too, which is sort of interesting. But so I decided though, I'm pretty full of siblings right now and I'm not going to really pursue him. If the universe aligns it, that he crosses my path, I'm open and willing, but I'm my, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. I'm my cup overfloweth, right? Uh, no doubt. Uh, I mean, honestly, obviously, there's there are plenty of of you know negative aspects to the story, and yeah. you know, just um, in emotion emotional aspects for you and things that you had to deal with growing up. But that being said, you know this. At least you're you're perspective and your attitude is is very positive it is thank you you. by intention and i've been working on that for a long time you know when i was um oh dear when so um when i was in my early 20s and i was going through some really bad relationships i was convinced there was a big black cloud that followed me around and whether it was relationships or it was finances or it was crappy dead end. Like I was a waitress for 10 years while my kids were growing up. I just, I really, and then my dad drowned and ah, all that stuff. And, and I just really felt like I was destined to follow this path of demise and destruction. And then all of a sudden I started and, you know, whether you think it's like my father whispering my ear or whatever, but he always instilled confidence in me and and telling me there's nothing I can't do and there's no coincidences. And and so I started drawing from that. And over the last 20 years, um, I've really put effort into being positive. Um, as I said, I'm a wellness coach for WW. Um, I have done, I had my own um, online, online radio stream for three years called Positive Power. Um, I have a big following on social media where I'm uplifting and, you know, sharing positive messages with people. I did video blogs for a long time. And when I share that positive um, energy, I feel good. People feel good. It's well received. And I really think um, that's, this is all part of my path. And if I never would have gone through all those crappy experiences, I wouldn't be able to share the light today. And like, I'm not religious. I wasn't grown up religious, anything. It's just like universal love. I don't know how to explain it, but it's big and I radiate it and um, I love it. And so I think that's part of, you know, even though I'm sure I got my own issues going on, whatever, um, I really try to, you know, extend the hand to everybody I see because we all have different journeys. Everybody comes from somewhere. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um- so 
as everything you just mentioned, as far as like the radio stream, mm-hmm. um, and just every everything that you've been doing on that mission, is that is that directed at, at just everyone in general, Absolutely. or is it directed? Yep. Adopt everyone in general. Even um, I don't know if you're familiar with the free hugs campaign. Um, so I'm I am really involved in that for about the last ten years. I get my what I call my good vibe tribe, and we go stand around town, and we give free hugs to strangers. Um, I don't know post COVID if we'll ever be able to do that, but in 2015, my daughter and I we drove across Canada from Sarnia to Vancouver and back, giving out free hugs, doing random acts of kindness, and when we got to the other end, um, except for Jimmy. All my siblings, I got to reunite with them. Rachel was there. My aunties were there. It was good, wholesome, and we were making new memories. And that's what's important to me now, right, is is moving forward. And, you know, even like the stuff that I shared, it's with no bad. It's just like, let, let's just move forward. And And I can't fix the last however many years, but I can move forward now. And like Jimmy and I, we have great memories. We do all sorts of stuff together. I love it. You said Sarnia's in Ontario. It is. I'm a we're a border city to um, Michigan. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I know he's in. I think he's in a city called Bancroft. Yeah, that, he's correct? in outside of Aurelia. Actually, I'm going to see him next week. I'm picking up um, our sister Tina, and we're going to have a little mini reunion, which is awesome for a couple of days. And which, uh, which, what numbered sis- sibling is, is, is she? So Tina is number four. Um, she's, uh, the oldest of the four that were put up for adoption. So let me ask you this. Obviously there were seven, uh, seven mm-hmm. of you and there's going to be different levels of relationships between the seven of you. It kind of sounds like you and Jimmy are, are the closest for, for you of that group. Is that, is that um, the case? I think or? so, but it sort of rotates. Like when uh, Tammy was living, not too, like she was in Ontario. She's the oldest girl. We were really close for a couple of years, and then she moved out west. When I was in my early 20s, me and Tina were really close. And then, I don't know, life happens. So it seems to sort of shift. But Jimmy and I are, have the most in common. Because we were both, for one, we're the ones with a separate father, like each, each separate fathers. And we were the ones that have no memories. So, like, I don't know about Roxanne and Tina, but I feel like they maybe have more memories of, like, hey, I'll be right back, where we don't have anything like that. We were, we were both really young. But even with my own story, because <clears throat> I'm, I share, you know, I've shared it on the radio and, and I have pictures of, like, you know, our little reunions on Facebook and whatnot and people ooh and awe, but they, they, you don't get it until you live it. Right. Like you don't, you don't get the whole thing. So, you know, right. I don't know what it's like to have a mom that raised me. You know what I mean? So we're all, we're all, we're all different. So yeah, I I don't really know. Well, and that's true. And I mean, you're one of of seven adopted siblings, and each one of your stories are completely different, really. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the way that you feel, the way that each one of you feel about the situation is also going to be different. 
and maybe even about, you know, the adoptees in general. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting about um, the three that were brought back into the home because, um, you know, imagine how they must feel that um, not knowing where we went, but knowing that uh, we went to homes that have food in the cupboards all the time. Right. No, like, however, whatever, like I had my visions of what I thought every year on my birthday, I would think, I wonder if she's thinking of me, I'd think like different things. And so for those kids that, you know, experienced foster homes, and then went back to uh, this dysfunctional home, I can't even imagine what that's like. And I know, um, from like talking to the older ones, especially because we're so close together. I think it weighed very heavy on them because when you have a dysfunctional home and you have that many kids, the oldest kids always by default turn into the caregivers. Right. So, right. So how would that weigh on them that then we were gone? It's pretty heavy. That would have been almost traumatic for them and probably always wondering when of our when of our baby sisters and brothers come that's right and that's right and did i not change them enough or whatever right so i think for all of us it's equally traumatic and i i'm going to tell you some interesting facts so um uh two so when we reunited two of my sisters had both named their oldest child crystal I have a son called Robert Kenneth. My sister Tina has a son named Robert and a son named Kenneth. When I was pregnant with my oldest son, if he would have been a girl, the name Rachel was on the table, which is funny. And I'm so glad he wasn't and didn't get that name. That would have really been a sore point for me at some point. Um, (laughs) Three out of four. So the four girls, uh, three out of four of them were pregnant, 15, 16 years old. I was the one that held out till 18. Whoop, whoop, held out till 18. Um, Five out of seven of us have multiple parents to our children. Sort of interesting, right? Like I have three kids with two fathers. Um, And all of the girls at one point or another collected some sort of social assistance. Um, So when you, oh, and the seven children, like us seven kids, we have 22 children. So, so we're very fertile. We obviously got that from Rachel. But when you, when you look at, um, you look at the dynamics of, of your genes and then the things that you picked up when you're raised, it's interesting that like even the four of us that were raised in different homes, we all had our own journeys, but we, I believe to my knowledge, we all had financial stability. We all had different foundations, right? Yet we all still, you know, sort of had these elements, which is sort of interesting. It's just things that make you go, hmm, right? That we're so separate, yet we're so similar. Deep. It is. is, It's just interesting the way those things also play out generationally. And, you know, what what you're describing with, with, you know, the children and the young pregnancies and it's, it's just interesting the way those things play out and kind of repeat themselves it is. You know, it, across, abs- across generations. Absolutely. And so when I met Rachel, um, she explained to me 
that she had also been in and out of care, that her siblings had also been raised in like different homes or uh, together for a bit and then separate for a bit. Children's Aid was very involved in her life as a child and then very involved in her life as an adult. So um, like it's a generational dysfunction, right? Being passed down. And it's funny because my son, Rob, um, uh, Robert Kenneth, (laughs) when he um, got pregnant, when he got pregnant, when he got his girlfriend pregnant, and um, we were talking about something, and I said, you know, Rob, all of my siblings have kept their children. So we've broken that. Now you do better. Do you know what I mean? So, like, when you see all that that's being passed down, I feel and I hope, I hope that we've broke that and that moving forward, you know, because I look at my kids and I think, um, like, uh, With Tina, anyways, her kids and my kids have grown up enough that if we both passed away, I feel like they'd stay in contact. That's important to me, right? Like, I don't want, I don't want this to be the end of the line, if you will. Right. Well, I mean, you know, regardless of where you live or anything like actual family. Right. Exactly. Right. Just a, a quick side note to what you were saying about the the names. That's amusing to me with the Roberts and the Kenneths because in my family, which was the you know the long lost family that I that I discovered, it turns out we have my grandmother. She had one sibling, right, and his name was was Larry, and he didn't he didn't have a son or anything like that. And then she had her final child when she was getting a little older, so she named him Larry because he thought he wasn't going to have a, a son for whatever reason. And then he turns out to have a son who he also named, you know, Larry <laughs> Jr. So there's, I mean, we've got what they used to call Big Larry and Little Larry, but then Big Larry had Larry Jr. And my cousin, Larry Jr., he, he just had a baby, you know, a, a month ago himself. And he claimed that they were going to name it Larry. <laughs> they, they wound up not doing that. That's funny. To my Yes, to my disappointment. I think if I have another child, I might have to name it Larry. Even a nickname. It's also funny how those things are. And and you said that it, your son wanted to name his, if he had a daughter, wanted to name her no, Rachel? No, that was me. And oh, I hadn't met her yet. So wouldn't that have been wild? That would have been right? crazy. So it makes you wonder, like, was it still in my head? It probably was right? somewhere. I think so. Somewhere deep That's in there. That's right. But it was. Another thing that you said, which was probably my favorite thing that you've said so far, you you mentioned keeping the families together. I would assume with the experience that you've had, that was something that was deep seated in you to know that there's there's no way I'm going to let my kids go anywhere. We're going to be a That's family right. like I'm not going to let my children go. That's that. exactly right. Exactly right. Hard to wrap your head around once you've had um, your own kids. How tough that must have been. It is, to be honest with you. And me, you know, my situation was was different than, than yours. I, I did grow up with my mother. I just did not grow up with my father. Okay. And you know, met met that side of the family later in life. Unfortunately, he had passed away not even a year before I met everyone. But I, I still was able to meet my grandmother, great grandmother, bunch of cousins, brother and sister, awesome. uh, lots of uncles. 
So there's there's plenty of family there, just just not him. But all you know, and I also actually grew up with a, with a stepfather, but that was pretty dysfunctional as well. He didn't, you know, he didn't really have anything to do with his actual biological children. It was just, uh, I don't know. There were there were just a lot of examples for me in my young life that I didn't even necessarily realize at the time, but they instilled something in me to know that that's that's not the way I'm going to go about my business. And and I, I have I only have one daughter myself, but you know I'm. There's, she'll always know who her father is and both of her parents for that matter. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. We have to be the change, right? Exactly. Yeah. General, gen, you, you described breaking a generational curse. Yes, for sure. That's right. See, I blew the black cloud off me. You yeah. did. And that's, that's interesting um, what you mentioned with, with your biological mother. Um, you know, her her pointing out that she, I guess, was living in like group homes or, mm-hmm. or things, things of that nature or, you know, ward of the state type situations. Yeah. And obviously that would have been very traumatic on her as well and, and affected her, you know, later into life and, you know, her maybe some of her decision making. Well, and then it, it almost makes it normal. Like it, it's her normal. Right. So like for her to. um you know, basically what I would call call children's aid on herself. It she she didn't think twice about it because she felt like they were there to support her. Where you know, with me, I'd be like that'd be the day. <laughs> what I can't even you know, but that's what she was surrounded with, and that's what she was used to. And you know, being in such a dysfunctional environment, and all these babies like it. She must have had four in diapers at a time. I can't even imagine. It's like having your own daycare. Yes, just that part of the story is almost shocking. Like have seven children in nine years yeah. is that's just that's too much. That's that that gives me that makes me anxious just thinking about right? it. Right, exactly. Like when's your downtime? So just simply knowing that part of it, it makes sense as to why she made the decision mm-hmm. that she did. You know, like she, she probably was truly breaking down. Well, yeah. And I think, um, you know, based on the paperwork I have, um, it wasn't a decision that she made by herself. Like the, the courts were involved and the community and, you know, um, so I, I'm sure she, she tried to stick it out as long as she could, I think, you know, but, um, yeah, the, the community was concerned and there was like some fires in the house and, you know, rats and ah, whatever. And it was the sixties, you know, I was, I was quite shocked when she told me she wasn't a drug addict or an alcoholic. I was like, what, <laughs> what? It was just, you know, like that's sort of what I was expecting. It's funny because the, when you go through children's aid and they get you the paperwork, they come to your house and they read it to you. And they like counsel you. And so the night before I thought, okay, what's the worst case scenario? So I figured, okay, so worst case in my mind, she's a hooker and my dad was a John. And then I thought anything that I read or I hear or whatever is going to be better than that. And, and it's so funny that, that switching the script so that I was prepared 
was was like a huge thing. So when I did get the paperwork and they did talk about how, you know, um, it was a dysfunctional relationship and and breaking up from her ex-husband because um, like she was married at, you know, 14 or 15, something ridiculous. Um, so when when you look at all that, there's certainly the compassion part that comes out to like, oh my gosh, like I can't even imagine being having all those babies and and the immaturity of being in love, right? Like, what does that look like when, and then you're cheating and, you know, all that ah, messy, messy stuff, you know, it, it takes a long time into our lives before we really um, even have the ability to work through a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like, Yes. Yeah, that that's pretty heavy stuff. So, you know, that would have weighed heavy on her too, that, you know, she was trying and, and, you know, the community or, you know, children, whoever was pressuring her to say, you know what, you just, you just can't do it anymore. I mean, I, I can't even really imagine, you know, the moment when it, when it, it came to that, yeah. like she was already, she was already obviously treading water and then, you know, that's right. Having to lose that's right. her children. Yeah. And, and like my, um, my room was a drawer. I always, um, uh, tease my older s- siblings about like when I cried too much, they shut the drawer. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's like, imagine that environment. Imagine, right. Imagine, Oh, had another baby, got no room here. Pull out the underwear, throw her in there. And that was your actual reality. That, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's all perspective, right? Yes. Yep, for sure. So as, as far as your adopted family, you said that they, they basically chose you out of a book. Yep. You know what I mean? I, like how did how did that how did that process go or or is that something that you really ever discussed? No, with them? um, no, my um, they, no, they were pretty good for sharing. They were not interested in me finding my uh, birth mom. Well, my my mom, my adopted mom, was was like okay, but my adopted dad was not interested in me doing that. Thought it was a terrible idea, and I was going to get hurt. Um, but they were they shared that they'd gone to the children's aid here in Sarnia expressed that they wanted a child, but they wanted to make sure it was a girl. So I guess they brought out like this big book. I even have the picture they chose of me. Um, so they had this big book and they went through and they they picked me. Uh, my dad had brown eyes. I have brown eyes. I think that was the clincher. So they did all the paperwork and everything. And ironically, the foster home I was in, they wanted to adopt me. But my parents that got me, their paperwork went through first, which is a little bit ups- like sad for them, right? Like, if I could find them, I would write them a letter or something if they're still around and just be like, hey, I made it, you know, whatever. Anyways, so um, they went to, they, they take, I don't know if they took my brothers, but they went to Ottawa for like an overnight or something. And because of the um circumstances that the foster family wanted to adopt me they actually let my parents come and meet me at their house so the foster family got to meet my parents um so they went there and they visited and then the next day 
my parents went to the airport and the children's aid lady came and she had me. And so I was 22 months. So my mom was hoping for a baby, baby. They had a crib set up and everything. I don't know where the disconnect went or whatever. But so I was like running, right? Because I'm like almost two. I'm like, you know, all over the place. So I guess the children's aid lady handed her over to my dad and he was holding me like on his hip or whatever. And then she said to me, do you know who this is? And I looked at him and I said, that's my dad. And that was like, that was the day I put my dad in my pocket. (laughs) Right. It was like, that was like a moment. And so they always shared that. Um, And growing up, um, my dad took me with him, like, took me with him all sorts of places, which made us even closer, except for when my brothers were grounding, I had to go fishing with them. I didn't like that part because um, <laughs> I wasn't into fishing. But he, yeah, he used to take me all over and we spent a lot of time together. And um, he actually sang in our local theater. So I was a theater kid. Um, I wouldn't go on stage. I didn't like that at all. But I would like, um, he played the music man and he was like really good. And so I'd like, usher people to their seats and hand out programs, stuff like that. And it's interesting because I think that even though like I'd never be a singer as a public speaker today, I think that was all part and parcel to boosting my confidence and seeing, you know, how, I don't know, you just get through that part where you actually get up there and you speak, right? Like, you know, so I think, um, uh, I think everything lines up as it's meant to be for a reason. And actually, funny enough, uh, Jimmy does public speaking. Our oldest one, Tom, does public tub- uh, public speaking. And so does uh, Rachel. More things that just make you go, hmm. No doubt. Yeah. And, and I I haven't, I, I've, I've only spoken to her just, you know, a very, very brief conversation on the phone. Okay. Obviously, I talked to James, you know, I, yeah, I mean, both of you are, are, Good speakers, good orators. Thank you. I, I mean, again, I, I can't speak for her, but that doesn't that doesn't surprise me at all. Right. She um she spent years going around um the church circuit, um sharing our her version of our story. When I had called her initially to to set up a meeting, she said that you know she wanted to do it, but then she called back the next day and and canceled. So I wondered if she had some anxiety around it, but oh. you know if. She, touring on this on the story i don't i don't know yeah i yeah i i don't know i don't know if she's done it for a long time um but you know um speaking your version of a story to a small group of people versus speaking it to the whole world might be two different well that's true that is true right the 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 beauty of, of podcasting, or at least at, at at this point, we're not doing this to a live audience. Right. To me, it kind of takes the stage fright out of it because it's, I'm just having a conversation with, right. with you. Yeah. It's just you and me talking here. Yeah, exactly. So your father, he drowned, unfortunately, when you were barely young. You, I think you said you were 25, 25. around the time. Yeah. So that was around the time when everything started happening and right. you were meeting everybody. And then 
you lost him. What what happened first, losing him or meeting Rachel? So um, I met Rachel when I it's well. So I was going to mention this. So I met Rachel when I was twenty, and I didn't tell my parents. And it wasn't until about two years later that we were sitting in the living room, and I was living with my partner at that time, and I was over for a visit. I don't even know if I had my kids or not with me, but we're we're sitting there and they're watching TV. And every once in a while, my mom would say, so did you ever find your mom? See, she was always like after me on stuff. And I, I didn't click. I get it now. I didn't get it then. Anyways, so she was like, so did you ever find your mom? And seriously, it had been well over a year anyways. And I just took a deep breath and I go, yeah, actually I did. And my dad with lightning speed grabbed the remote, turned the TV off and just looked at me. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I found her over a year ago and I didn't tell you because I wanted to prove to you our relationship wouldn't change. Wow. Right? And what was what was her reaction to that? Um I you know, I don't really know, but I wish I did know. Cuz now that I look at everything a little differently, I wish I did know, but um <clears throat> they were really good and I just explained um everything about uh, Rachel and the story as I knew it about the father, uh, like my biological father. And I explained all the kids and they knew I always, something about sisters. You know, I just, I I always wanted sisters in my life. And maybe that was something playing from when I was a kid and they used to come pick me up. I mean, I don't know. Um, So I just explained the whole thing and they, and I, um, like I said, it was the siblings, right? If it wasn't for the siblings, I probably wouldn't have pursued Rachel. So um, I think presenting it that way too, like the I never wanted to hurt my dad. That was the thing, right? Is like, I just never wanted to hurt him or he was just such a, uh, oh my goodness, such a, an important part of my life. So I just, I think I presented it properly and, and I knew it was going to happen at some point. So I'd gone over it a thousand times in my head and then she threw me and I was honest and then it was good. Um, so then, uh, um, after then, so then he died and that was horrible. And then, um, I was pregnant with my third child and I had, hadn't told him yet. Uh, cause I was scared to tell him just, because I had, I had three children and I'd never been married. That was just not the way he envisioned me. I don't know, whatever. So that carried very, very heavy on me that I hadn't told him that I was pregnant with my daughter, Nicole. Um, so then after he died, um, not saying I did anything for the wrong reasons or whatever, but then I got married um, to my daughter's father. And so my sister came. Um, and like Tina, she came and stood up in the wedding for me. And my mom was like, totally fine. Like she was totally, yeah, she was totally good. So they actually met each other. Um, but thinking about it, uh, my mom was probably pushing me back towards Tina a little bit and I didn't really see it, but I, but it's all good. It's, it's fine. 
it's all good. Like she, when she passed three years ago, we uh, were very uh, distant. We hadn't talked for a significant amount of time. Um, but I went and saw her uh, a couple of days before and I, I feel like we made peace and, and I understand that, you know, she would have rather have had her own child. It's okay. I, I, I'm totally fine. What do you do? I guess there, there really was kind of a sort of a, a, a wall mm-hmm. of some sort. You can't get past that though. Like, and, and you know what, honestly, it's nothing personal. It's like, it's right. It didn't matter that I was the child. She'd had, she'd had a child that, that died. Yeah. At birth, she'd had a girl that died. And then she had my two brothers. And then they wanted to try again, but to make sure it was a girl. In comes me. In comes you. In comes me. So, and I think, you know, there were times where, you know, I've gone through all this stuff in my head and being like, uh, I don't know, going through all sorts of different emotions. But I realize, and this is where my heart is full of forgiveness. Like she did the best she can. My dad wanted me. She would have rather had, and it's okay. It, it doesn't matter if it was me or my sister or, or some girl, other girl. It does. It wasn't about us. It was about that she was she was feeling loss, right? It's pretty pretty deep. And yes. I I could never, even though like, you know, I joke about you know that she was crafty and I wasn't, and she'd be like knitting and wanting to teach me how to knit. I'd be downstairs doing woodworking with my dad. It, it was just, we were just so different. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because I could have been exactly like her. I still wasn't filling that void that she had. Do you know what I, does that make sense? Yes, it it, it does. It does. Um, I mean, especially the, the aspect of her losing the child obviously would be something that right. she never quite got over. And she, she probably never intended to, Absolutely. to make you feel like more outcasts. She just sort of couldn't help 100%. the way she presented. That's, that I agree a hundred percent. I think she was doing the best that she could. And, and she loved my dad so much <clears throat> that she wanted to, to satisfy him as well. You know what I mean? So like she sort of gave in, I guess. Well, and then the fact that you came along and were immediately so close, you know, with with him and right turned out to be just what he needed. Yes, exactly. And you you also, you know, you mentioned uh when you mentioned about having three kids outside of marriage mm-hmm. at a at a young age and that you know, you were scared to talk to him about it too much and I guess feeling he would totally. be disappointed or whatever and a uh, uh, a lot of it probably would have simply been the fact that he knew what you personally had been through and was really worried that anything like that could happen that's with right. your children, that's right. his I grandchildren. Agree. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And, and so as I'm changing my perspective and <clears throat> looking at things, um, you know, without judgment and analytically, and looking at behavior and remembering different things growing up in this and that, I think how much, what, like, what did he see? Just even the fact that I remember him saying, 
you know, you probably shouldn't keep introducing her as adopted. So like, what, what else was he seeing? Like, how were those conversations going for him? Right. And, and I don't know um, what your communities were like growing up, but there was like a lot of families that like almost had their token adopted child. Do you know what I mean? And they might be like a mixed match of like um, where they come from or, or whatever, or just, I don't know. Like, and of course there's always people that do things for the wrong reasons. I'm not saying they did, but you know, so it was really, I don't know. It was just sort of like, we had a boxer. Oh, you had a boxer. Oh, we have an adopted child. Oh, you have an adopted child. It's just, it was a different dynamic and it was so easy. Right. To like, are you kidding me? You go in a book. Right. Like that's, that's just, that's crazy. When you look at today where people are crying for children and you know, it's really tough. It's a whole different thing. Right. No doubt about it. Well, Michelle, um, I guess before, before I let you go here, I, I would like to ask you if there's a couple of things. First of all, if there's anything that you specifically would like to say to anyone in the audience who might be, who might be listening and hearing this, that's had a similar experience, had similar thoughts that, that you've had, if there's anything that you would want to say to them, because for me, a lot of this is, you know, I, I hope to inspire people, maybe people who haven't taken the same journey and found their family to encourage them to do so. And also just maybe look mm. at themselves in a little, a little different light, you know what I mean? And understand that whatever it was that led to their journey wasn't, wasn't their fault, wasn't based on any, anything lacking in them as a person. I think, um, go for it. You know, if you're questioning, I have some friends who have never pursued it for whatever reason. I think it's worth doing it. And we're all independent people. So even if it's a story that, you know, um, you're not comfortable with or, or whatever, it's still part of your story. And you never know, like, you know, I can't imagine not pursuing and, and missing out on all these awesome people. Um, you know, in my life, now that we have these relationships, definitely worthwhile. And even though, you know, I said about my, my new brother, um, you know, I'm still open to meeting him. I'm just, I'm just taking a little break right now. And I've certainly, like I have looked, so I've looked, I came up. So do I want to put the extra effort in? Not right now, but I do believe that the universe works in a mysterious way. And if we're destined to meet, we certainly will. It's going to happen. And and uh, if we don't, well, that's okay, too. But, um, yeah, I say definitely pursue it. And for people who are not adopted, but they know people who are, or maybe they have someone in their family that's adopted, maybe just um, take into consideration what their journey must be like. What it must like when Jimmy talked about um, the square peg in the round hole or whatever, he's like, he nailed it, right? He, he totally nailed it. So, and then even like with me, you know, and then that carried forward to my biological family because like I fit in, but then I'm different. And, you know, um, we all come from different 
varieties of, you know, education and background and things we're exposed to and, and all that other stuff, but it's still, it's, it's worth it. And if you want to, you know, have your kids move forward and they know completely where they come from, then, you know, that's part of it too. You're not just doing it for yourself. Absolutely. I guess just uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you would be if there's anything specific that you, Michelle Dion, um, wanted to promote or anything social media wise or anything business wise or, or mission wise that you're doing right now that you'd like to promote to the audience, I'd like to give you a platform to do so. Oh, well, thank you very much. So I have a Facebook page that's called Positive Power. Um, so if you need a little uplifting in your life, please feel free to like it. Um, and I share stuff on there all the time. Um, but I think my message, my message mostly would be do random acts of kindness, you know, do, do things for strangers, open the door, be a smile, be, you know, um, the helping hand, give the hug, be a rebel, give the hug, you know, do, do, you know, as long as you feel safe and comfortable doing so. but we can always make a difference. People are hurting and you can't always see it on the outside. So if you can do something for somebody, accept them as they are and uh, be kind. Good word. You know, it's, uh, I've loved speaking to you and to your brother. You're both just like so Thank positive. You. It's been, it's been amazing for me to speak to you. So I, I really appreciate you coming on here and just, uh, contributing to the program and awesome. brightening my day. And also I'd like to have you you're back maybe again for a potential group call. It's something I talked to James about or Jimmy about. And I love it. Several awesome. On and, you know, we're going to get rowdy though. Episode. I'm warning so, you. It's going to get pretty loud. We're a pretty funny bunch. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I'm funny as well. Just so you know. <laughs> I, okay. I, I can see that. I can see that. I, I can see that bit of personality in you. You may have been a bit of a class clown. We are type. bad I'm, together. We are like, oh, we're pretty funny. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, then uh, we'll we'll definitely stay in okay. touch. We'll set that up in the future. In the meantime, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your time and your message. And oh, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Bye.